This is a part of the service that we get to um, prepare our hearts for tithes and offerings. And we often wondered, why do we tithe? You know, it's a commandment from the Old Testament. But it's also out of a relationship with our Lord. And out of that relationship with our Lord, in the New Testament, he talks a lot about going the extra mile, turning the other cheek. and so much about love that he will not talk necessarily about tithing, but he talks a lot about finances. And in, in order to tithe out of a relationship, it, it means that you give up something that you worked hard for. But God is the provider of all things. And he gives you the avenue to work, to receive the gifts from him. And just by giving back, it does something in my heart to accept who Jesus is in my life, what he's doing in my life, to be thankful, to take the extra step, to be able to go the extra mile, to be able to love my wife as I should love her. And we was talking about the pause conference in Valentine's. This year, I've reached 40 years with my wife on February 14th, and that's a great thing. And it's just a blessing of God that this has happened. That, you know, we happen to be a gift for each other. But as those gifts come about in new tithing, we get to reach out to the community and reach those who are lost. And you equip the church to do these things out of love to reach the souls of each one of us in the community. So if this is your first time visiting, please just accept this service as a gift from us. If you're visiting from another church, please take your tithe home and support what they do in reaching the lost as well. But if this is your home church, please team up with me, step up, and tithe. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for the love that you have for us. I thank you that you show up all the time. And I just ask that you be here today with us as we get to hear the word that you equipped through Pastor Sheldon. And Lord, we just love you. I just ask you to take these tithes and bless it to the furtherance of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom. I will catch up with you one day. I'm only on 26. I'm going to make 27 this year, so I've got 13 more years. And for those of you who are married the first year, God bless you. <laughs> hang on. You, you'll get there. Just, just hang on to Jesus. And as Jesus hangs on to you, you're going to make it to two, then three. The next thing you know, you're going to black out. Then you go, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just saying, you're going to just keep going, just keep going. You know, in this series that we're in, our lives uh, or in the hands of God, life in the hands of God, that we're saying, God, I want to look at my life from your perspective as if my life is in your hands. And when our life is in the hands of God, that is the best place to be in. And we've been talking about how we can have a purpose, how we can not just live in a, a world that's temporary, but really to see that God has given us a life to live. And so if this is your first time here at our church, we welcome you. You can take out your notes. We have the, or the church app. You can follow along. And there's a couple of things that I wanted to reiterate that is happening. And, and Pastor Tom was talking a little bit about, you know, of course, the tithes that uh, we give to God. Kailani and Marilyn was talking about the app that we use. But one thing that we do, or one thing that we have is if you are in the fellowship hall or if you miss the offering buckets going by, we have in our fellowship hall, right next to the mirrors, a place that you can drop off your, the tithes and offerings. 
And that's just another way for us to uh, communicate to you that there are ways that we can give to God and there are opportunities. And when God uh, blesses us uh, in whatever capacity, it's more than just about finances. It's so much more than that. God has given us a life to live and so we're grateful. Another thing uh, that we're uh, gonna be doing and I wanted to give you a heads up because it does affect you, especially for those of you who come to church every week and you sit in the same seat. So pay attention because if not, next week, you may be a little thrown off. We're, we're going to be rearranging the seats just because of some things that have happened, and we want to make sure that uh, by law, there are certain uh, laws that we abide by with the aisles and how many seats and spacing and all of that. So the seating is going to change a little bit. So when you come next week, your seat might not be there because it may change. So you might walk into church and you don't know where to go. So the seats aren't assigned, I understand that, but I watch you when you walk in and someone sits in the seat that you normally sit in, oh, there's a whole thing going on, it's like a battle, it's like, <sighs> get 400 more seats and you're sitting in that one and that's the one I sit in and what, you knew, you knew, it's your first time, like, in our minds, it just, it happens, so next week, it's going to be different, this aisle is not going to be here, so if you love sitting on the ends and right here, that's going to be gone, uh, those chairs are going to change in different directions. Like, it's like walking into a new church. So when you come next week, come with grace and forgiveness and be slow to anger. Just walk in and say, Lord, I just want to be here in church. Give me, just find me a seat, God, the best seat. And then you, you're going to find another area. And if you guys scrap, then that's why we need Jesus. Okay, the other thing is, when uh, last week I talked about uh, service dogs and people had a question. They said, how do we know if it's a, a service dog? Well, the law says that if you have a trained service dog, then that, that dog is specifically trained for the disability of the owner. The dog is specific to that person's, or the training of that dog is specific to the owner's disability. So it helps, the dog helps uh, with that person's needs. So we do allow trained service dogs into our buildings. So just to let you know, and being crystal clear, we do allow trained service dogs. And they're certified. They go through training. And the reason why we will only allow trained service dogs is because we want to make sure that we're taking care of everyone, not just those who need a trained service dog, but for those who will not have a trained dog or animal that... If the animal is not trained and the animal does something, then someone else is in danger as well as you. So we want to make sure that we allow only uh, trained service dogs and they go through the training. You can actually buy a, a, a vest on the internet that says service dog. That's not a trained service dog. You cannot take one poi dog and just throw a vest on them and say, you trained. Look, can, look, you can sit. No, no, no. It's, it's more than that. So we want to make sure that everyone's safe and we want to protect everyone. So we want to make sure that uh, we only allow trained service dogs. And it's in any building, any part of our facilities. Th th they can be outside, but not in any building because people are in it. And this is 24-7. It's not just on Sundays or Wednesdays because we have uh, ministry all the time. 
So we want to make sure that we are not just abiding by the law, but we're also uh, being mindful of other people and making sure that people are safe. Because if I brought my dog here, it would be pretty, pretty crazy. So I, I, I leave him at home and, and he's fine. Okay, that's just to communicate that. Let's take out our notes. Let's talk about what guides our life. Because something is going to guide our life. And when we say, God, I want my life to be in your hands, that's the, that's the, 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 the thought I want to have. Life in God's hands. Because that's the best place for my life to be in. And something is going to guide us. I'd rather it be God guiding my life than anything else. Something or someone will guide every decision that I make. I will be directed by someone or something, and I will be controlled by someone or something. There's a, a, a news clip that I saw, and they were talking about GPS. You know, we use GPS, a, a global positioning satellite, I believe, and we use it from our phones. We have navigators in cars, and we use it to direct us if we're in a place that we're unfamiliar with. Well, I want to show this uh, news clip that I watched, and I thought it was pretty interesting on the things that took place. Let's take a watch. So basically what is also happening is people will look at their GPS, and it says, go straight. Well, when they look in real life, there's a turn, but they're looking at the GPS, and they're saying, but it says to go straight. And some of them go straight, and they go into a ditch because they're following what the GPS says. Now, that's, that's, it's a good tool. That's what she's saying. It's a good tool, but it's, it's not the only one we should rely on when it comes to directions. Even the guy himself, he said, you know, he said, this is a, this is a, a good thing to have. It's very helpful. You can't trust it, but it's a good, a good tool to have. You can't trust it, but it's a good tool to have. Almost sounds like life. And there are certain things in life we just can't trust, but we also are guided by it. Well, God wants us to understand that because he sees everything from beginning to end, he's the best guidance that we could ever have. Rather than my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts, maybe even advice other people give me, which they mean well, ultimately, it should be God that guides my life. Some of us, when we think of being guided by God, we are either going to be guided by our feelings, our emotions, another person, Media, sometimes finances, problems, hurt, pain, or fear, or we're going to let God guide us. Now, I, I, I golf once in a great while, so I don't know the, the, you know, the, the, the golf techniques. All I know is there's the ball, hit it, and then go get it, or go find it, and then hit another ball, and you go get it in the hole. That's, that's, the, that's pretty much the basic principle of golf. Well, when I hit the ball, uh, it doesn't go where I want it to. It, like, I know where it should go, and I aim for it, but at the point of contact, when my club hits the ball, w however it contacts the ball is going to determine where that ball is going to go. Now, right off of contact, it looks really good. It sounds great. Like a nice, nice ping to it. And then, but like after about 25 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, it starts to go somewhere else. And it doesn't go where I want it to go. And when it, when it does go to where I want it to go sometimes, I don't know how that happens. Like I can't repeat that. 
over and over. That's why golfers will say that's how you get hooked in golf because once in a great while, you're going to have a good shot. It keeps you in the game. You think, oh, I must be getting good. And then the next shot, it's like, but I'm not getting good. And it, it kind of holds you there. Well, in life, if you're just like that point of contact, just a little off, just a degree off, you go two years down the road, three years, four years, next thing you know, you're way off track because something else was guiding you. Maybe in your marriage, you're so close at the point of contact. It's like, we got married, yay! But I never changed anything about me. I'm still the same person. And so as I continue on with my marriage and in life, I'm so far away from where I was in the beginning. It could be like that with God. In the beginning, God was everything. And in the beginning of the year, God, I'm going to draw close to you. But then as the days and weeks go by and then life happens, it's like, okay, Lord, maybe not today. Maybe next week, next week, next week. Next thing you know, five years later, I'm way off over here. And God is saying, you've forgotten the very basic point of contact that you got to stay close to me. Put your life in my hands. And let me guide your life. Something is going to guide us. See, we're, we're, we're going to learn three important values that should be guiding our life, which will lead us to a better life. Here's the first thing that should guide us, and it's simple. God's ways. It should be God's ways. I, I've lived separate from God's ways, and I tried my own way. I tried living by guilt. Guilt doesn't do anything. It just makes things worse. And it drives me and it, it pushes me and it directs me to places that I don't want to be. The first murder that happened in the Bible, Cain killed his brother Abel. And God says, you're going to be a wanderer all your life. Why? Because now there's guilt on your hands. And when there's guilt, that's what we do throughout life. We just wander aimlessly throughout life. And we don't even know where we're heading. See, whenever we do something and there's guilt, just because our past shaped us for a moment, it doesn't mean it has to stay with us for a lifetime. Our past is going to do something. It's going to cause guilt. The things we have done wrong, it's going to cause guilt. Don't let that guide us. Psalm 32, verse 1, it tells us, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. You know what the Bible is saying? I liken it to today's world where when we're driving a car, we have a rear view mirror. And in our rear view mirror, we can see the things that we just passed. But if I stay focused on the thing that just passed, after a while, you don't see it anymore. It's gone. Now, I could try and focus at it and I can say, where was that house that I was looking at? It was just there. Where is it? The more I focus on my past the more the odds climb up for me to crash into a wall or a, or a house or someone. And that's what the Bible is saying. It's saying, listen, there's, there's joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. You're not looking at your past anymore, whose sin is put out of sight. So if guilt is, is guiding you, you got to put that out of sight. Let, let our guilt die its natural death because we can't change the past. Some of us are guided by our emotions. I remember when Heidi and I uh, first had our son. In fact, when we found out that Heidi was going to have Justin, who's our firstborn, I was 15 and Heidi was 16. And we just, I mean, talk about emotions getting the best of you. And, and, and we didn't know what to do. We were confused. And, 
And so our decisions and, and what we wanted to do was not guided by God. I didn't even know God at that time. I knew about God, but it wasn't God's ways that was guiding my life. And we were fearful. Well, God, God did a great thing. And eventually, of course, Heidi and I received Christ, or I received Christ long after Heidi did. But then when God's ways started to come into our life, now we could see a clear picture. Sometimes when you're, let's just say you're having a newborn or you, maybe you're having another child or like Pastor Ben, this is going to be your fifth child where he's having, he's having twins. So one time you're having two children. It's like, how do you plan for the unknown? You know, there's a, there's a clinic that opened up uh, maybe the, in the past year or so, uh, the Ohana Pregnancy Center of East Hawaii. And they have great advice for those who might be fearful and thinking of, boy, how, how do we do this? And, and maybe you're married and you're thinking, this is our first child. Go see them and they will help. They'll give free advice. They have free consultations. They also will do ultrasounds and, and things that we're, we don't know of. See, God will provide because he knows we're going to be fearful. He knows we're going to move on emotion. He knows that we're going to be angry from time to time. And he says, here's, here's my way of doing things. That there are going to be things that are going to direct your life, but if you turn your life into my hands, now I can guide it. Some of us, we suppress, you know, the, the things that we have done, we may have done, or anger and resentment, bitterness. And the Bible says to confess it. Don't suppress, confess it's the best way I can remember it. Instead of suppressing everything, confess it. If I suppress everything, I'm just a ticking time bomb. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be too long until someone pr- pushes the wrong button and then I just explode. And that's not healthy. That's not God's ways. See, those who have hurt us, those who have said things to us and we're, we're bothered by it, we carry it, we're the ones who are imprisoned. We the ones carry it. They're free. They're living their life. They're joyful. And we're the ones who keep thinking about it and dwelling on it. God says, you got to let that stuff go. That's not my way. Let that thing go. It's unhealthy for you. You can't change the past. You can't change the other person. You're actually only hurting yourself. Job chapter 5 verse 2 tells us, Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Yeah, I don't, I, first of all, I don't want to be destroyed, and I definitely don't want to be killed. Like my dreams can be killed. But my, my, the, the vision that I have for my life can be killed. And everything that is in me, if I have resentment, will be destroyed, even though they may be good things. And I'll be considered a fool. Some people are guided by fear, because fear will direct us. Fear will give us step-by-step instructions down the wrong path. Maybe we grew up in a household that there was so much pressure. Maybe we had to do everything perfect. Maybe we lived to please mom or dad. Or we had to do better than brother or sister. Or there were high expectations. So we live in that environment. So now in life we're so fearful because we don't want to make mistakes. And now fear is guiding our life. So we never really take risks. We stay in our comfort zone. We play it safe instead of asking God for guidance through his love and the faith that we have in him. 1 John 4, 18 tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love or is not perfected in love. If you're making decisions based on fear, 
and you're thinking, I need to make this decision because this might happen, this might happen, or boy, I need to do this because of these things. If it's driven by fear and you're, you're led by fear and that's guiding you, don't think about the decision. Right now, just focus on God's love for you. Just come back to, okay, God, you love me. I want to accept your love. I don't have to worry about this decision. I just have to concentrate and really focus in on your love for me because his love will cast out all fear. Otherwise, fear stays there and his love can't come in. So let his love in so that it can break out and take out all of that fear. Let his love in because his perfect love will cast out all of that fear. Then you won't be guided by fear or, or trying to blend in with everyone and, and trying to get more because sometimes we think, boy, if I, can, if I can get this, make more, do that, then my life will be good. Then I'll be happy. But now possessions guide us. And what we learn is that the greatest, the greatest, most precious possessions in life are really not possessions because those things are temporary. When we think of all of these material things that will give us more security, but it doesn't because only a relationship with God can give us that much security. When we have this relationship with God, what happens is he now secures us in him. He gives us value and importance, and he gives us meaning for life. He shows us that our value is not rested upon how much we make, where we work, what we drive, what we wear. He says, your value is in me, and that fulfills us. Then everything else can be added. Then we're not doing things to please people, doing things that, or, or wanting to get things so that we have more. He's saying, I am more than enough. And when I have that relationship with God, boy, everything changes because now my life is in his hands. That's why Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 tells us that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, the Bible isn't saying don't have wealth. It's saying you can't, have, you can't serve both. One will be your God. But if God is our God, wealth will never take his place. And when wealth doesn't take the place of God, it doesn't, it doesn't distract us from our relationship with him, and we don't look to get more things to add more value to us or to try to perform for other people or perform in the world so that we're accepted. God says, no, I accept you because of what Jesus did for you. And so instead of us performing to, to get our value, God says, no, no, no. I, I did that already. I went to the cross to give you your value, to show you how much I love you. You don't have to perform for people. Now, I'm sure at work we need to do certain things, but God says that doesn't define you. And many are guided by their performance. They'll perform for others to gain approval, only to let others control their lives. And sometimes we want, our, we want approval from our parents, our boss, maybe a, a teacher, a friend, or spouse, or even our children and God says, if you're trying to live life for their approval, then they're going to guide your life. But let me guide your life. Let my ways guide you. Instead of us trying to live to please people that will probably never be pleased. The people that we're trying to please will probably never be pleased. And we fall prey to peer pressure only to be swallowed up by it. All of these things just crowd us. But when we live our lives in the hands of 
of God rather than everyone else, then we only live to please God. If not, everything we do will be in vain. We will live a life without substance, goals with no meaning. That's why Isaiah 49.4 tells us, But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. Did you know that God rewards us? That when, it, when we live according to his ways, he rewards us. Now we think of rewards as finances or money or getting things. And God says, my rewards are so much bigger than that. Don't limit me and my rewards to just finances. That'll come and go. But my rewards are eternal. It's forever. And when my life is in the hands of God, now our life has meaning. It has significance, purpose, value, direction. And God gives us hope where all seems hopeless. You know, for many doctors, they say that they can tell whether someone is going to do well through the healing process or not do well depending on their hope. They can pretty much determine, okay, this person's healing is going to take longer than this person. Why? Because this one is less hopeful than this person. That's why we hope in the Lord. That's God's ways. We live according to His ways. The second thing that we can learn that can guide us is a God-given purpose. That God gave us a reason to live. A God-given purpose is like having, having a crystal clear vision and direction for life. That's why Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Just think of that. He has a future for us and it is hopeful. Many of us die on the inside because we're hopeless. Do you know what is worse than, than death? What's worse than death is living a long, full life dead on the inside. Because there's no reason to do what we do every day. But God says, hang on, I, gotta, I have a purpose for you. I have, I, I'm going to show you your value in who you are in me. And if you're facing a hopeless situation right now, and that's been guiding your life, I want to give this scripture to you. It's Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's God's promise for us. See, if you know when your life has meaning. You know when your life has value and purpose and direction and an eternal plan because God gives his promise to us. That's how we know. God said it. It's his word. He doesn't go back on his word. And when we understand that, now we're able to differentiate between the do's and the don'ts. This is what I need to be doing. This is what I shouldn't be doing. We can eliminate the unnecessary so that we can live a life that's focused. Otherwise, we'll make decisions based on emotions, circumstances, rather than God's purpose and plan for our lives. And we tend to think, well, then all I'll do, then I'll just, I'll just work harder. And so we work harder trying to achieve things that will never satisfy us or get things that will never fulfill us. And we work harder and harder and harder. And in the end, we only work ourselves to death. That's what happens. And God is saying, when you put your life in my hands, you, you not only have a God-given purpose, but now you understand that there's meaning to your life. 
Proverbs 13, verse 7 says that there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. He's saying, you're either going to be on one side or the other. On one side, you may not have everything, but you have a God-given purpose and you understand your life's meaning. Then you have the other ones who says, oh, I don't need that, but I, I can accumulate things in the world. He's saying, you're, gonna, you're not going to have anything. See, God gave us a life to live according to his plans and his purposes. Therefore, it would be wise to let him guide our lives. He knows how it should work. He even set how long it should take for us to fulfill our life mission. But if we waste time doing things we're not supposed to, no wonder we end up coming up short at the end and empty. Isaiah 26.3 tells us that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Just think about that. We will have peace, perfect peace, but only for those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in God. Like, God, I know your purpose for me, so I'm going to be steadfast and be mindful of that. I mean, God is the one guiding our life. We can focus. We can have clarity. We can make wise decisions because it's God who's directing us. It's his purpose for us. But when we're not focused, we have no clear purpose, we do whatever we feel is right, we keep changing things externally, hoping that it's going to change something internally. We change jobs, relationships, we move here, there, and we do things that we think is going to fulfill us. And God says, you're missing the whole point. It's never going to be external things that fulfill your life's purpose. It's going to be me, so ask me. Otherwise, you're going to be confused on the inside, hoping that things will be different, but it's still the same, chaotic and empty. And we think things will be different only to learn that things aren't the problem when the real problem is that we have no clear direction, no focus, and no purpose. That's why Ephesians 5.17 encourages us, and it says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He knows what we should be doing. That's why we go to him, not our emotions, not what other people say. It's going to him. You know, sometimes we live, like, we live life like this. Like, you know, all these lights, it lights up the whole room. There's not one focused light, but it lights up the whole room. And so we live life like this where I can just go anywhere because I'm, I'm lighting up the whole place so I can, I can just do whatever I want. And God says, but this light really has no power to do something of significance like a laser beam can cut through steel. As powerful as these lights are that can cause us to see, it has, when it has no focus, it's just diffused. But when you have a laser-focused energy light it can cut through steel and when life is that thick of darkness and that thick to break through we're going to need a laser beam focus in order for us to break through life that seems like a steel plate is in front of us but when we have focus and god is guiding us now we're able to not worry about everything that's taking place. Now we have a crystal clear direction and focus. We're not, we're not acting thoughtlessly, but we now understand what the Lord wants us to do. It's a God-given purpose. 
History shows us that the men and women who have made the most impact in life throughout history are the ones who were the most focused. They knew exactly what they needed to do. Paul the Apostle was one of them. Paul the Apostle was probably the most focused evangelist that we will ever see. Other than Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle had a laser-like focus. And he writes this in Philippians 3, 13 through 15. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, like he's, he's narrowing it down and being focused. Forgetting what is behind, you know that rear view mirror? I forget about those things and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take, view, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. He's saying, even if you just wander in life, God's going to make it clear to you. The question is, are you going to follow it? Are you going to follow his ways? Are you going to follow your God-given purpose? Or are you going to do whatever you want and walk throughout life aimlessly? See, when your life is in the hands of God, you have clear direction, you have focus. And when you have a clear direction, you have clear focus for your life, life becomes more meaningful. Life becomes more joyful. And you become passionate about life rather than letting life pass us by. Here's the third thing that we should remember that should guide us. The last thing you can write this in is eternal values. That should guide us to think eternal thoughts. Like think eternal. And in everything we say, everything we do, whatever we put our hands to, that we're thinking eternity. Not just temporary things in this world. Because if you're guided by temporary things, then everything you put your hands to will produce temporary results. But if you're guided by the eternal God, then everything you put your hands to will produce eternal results. You know, we say it often here that everything we do at this church, everything we do, has a soul attached to it. So when we bought these seats, we didn't buy it so that we can sit down in church. We bought it so that we can invite people in the hopes that they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and then give their hearts and lives to him so that they too would have eternal life. Everything we do has a soul attached to it. Everything we do is with eternity in mind. Even our fellowship hall, how we design it, we want people to walk in feeling welcomed, having the ambiance of being accepted and, and a place of comfort and joy so that they experience the love of God in the hopes that they turn towards him. I had a, a man tell me the other week, he said, you know, I keep inviting my friend to church. He's not coming to church. Every week I invite him. Every week, oh yeah, I'll be there. Oh yeah, okay, okay. I said, just stop inviting him to church. What? You guys tell us to invite them to church. I said, no, no, no. What I mean is this. Like if you went, if you took him to lunch, would he go? Breakfast? Yeah, yeah, he'll go. I said, then invite him to breakfast. Have breakfast with him. Would he come? Would he go? If you said, can I take you to breakfast? He'd be like, yeah, well, you're like me. Meet him in the fellowship hall. Just bring them to breakfast over here. I want to brag on the Lord for a minute. In, in our fellowship hall, we serve the most people on this island in that short amount of time than any restaurant. Eugene Manzano and the team, all of you who serve, believe it or not, you serve like 200 people in, in such a short amount of time like that. And that's every service. This is the most that I've seen, the biggest restaurant that serves people and the cheapest. 
it's a good value. So if someone doesn't want to come to church, say, hey, can I, can I, let's go breakfast and I'll treat you. It's only $4. I mean, we don't want to be like cheap people that say, oh, I treat you to $4. What we're saying is we put it at that price so you can do that. We put it at that price so that your family can come together and have a meal together in the hopes that they receive Jesus. Everything we do is attached to a soul. Every single thing. Even our well, the smoothies that we have, all of the, the resource center that we have, the hope is that people would find Christ. Everything we do. Live stream. Those of you who are watching live stream, we do this so that you would accept Jesus. Everything we do. I iron my shirts in the hopes that people find Jesus. <laughs> that no wrinkle would distract them. Just... Like everything, everything attached to a soul. And when we have eternity in our minds, then whenever we're around here, whenever we're around people, we're always thinking, Lord, how can I be used in the hopes that people find you? See, in this world that we live in, it's temporary. So in a temporary world, if we live with a temporary purpose, that's as far as it lasts. But we have to have eternal value, eternal purposes, because we're all preparing for eternity. Look at what Romans tells us. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 and 12. It says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. See, every single one of us will need to stand before God one day and give account. The question is, will who or what is guiding my life be enough for me to give a personal account to God. Because if not, then I need to stand before God and take on that judgment. That's why the Bible tells us in John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus was saying is, no, you don't have enough to stand before God, but I am enough. I died for your sins. Therefore, you can stand before God. Therefore, you should have eternal value. Therefore, you should be thinking about other people's eternal life because I gave that to you and now you're saved. Now go out and go help me save other people because that's what God is after. That's why he wants our life to be in his hands. That's why he wants to guide our life because he's gonna use us to find other people to come to know him as Lord and Savior. I wanna close with this. You can put away your Bibles and your notes and Glenn, you can come to the, the keyboard. Because the thought is, if Jesus is guiding my life, then he's more than enough for me to give a personal account to God. But not everybody understands that. Not everybody knows they have eternal value. One, one night I was driving home, and this was maybe in the early 90s. So driving out to Paradise Park, there were not that many cars at night. And we didn't have street lights. There's some now, but... As I'm driving home, my car like, is slowly dying. It's just something was weird about it, and my headlights started to dim. And I'm thinking, that's odd. I, I never, like, if my battery is dying out, then shouldn't my alternator be keeping my lights on? So I'm thinking about all these things, and my car is still going. Well, my lights start to dim, and there's no one in front of me. So as it begins to dim, I'm squinting, looking at the road and thinking, where, like, where's the, where's the road and where are the lines that I need to follow? And slowly, 
but surely the lights go out. And I am driving, eyes wide open. It's come on, come on, pupils, dilate. And I'm looking at the road, and it's pitch black. And I, I can vaguely see the trees on the side and the road, but the only thing that guides me home is the bumps on the road. You know those little reflectors? Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. So that's what I'm using to go home. I'm driving in the middle of the road because there's more room on this side in case I veer off. And if I hear any bumps on my right side, I just come. I was, I was driving by Braille. That's what was happening. So I'm driving, ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. and then when I don't hear it, I kind of go back on the bumps because I don't want to go too far to the right. My clip on fire hydrant, that's not going to go well. So I'm going home, and then every so often, I see in the faint distance a car coming. Now I start to panic because I'm thinking, wait, how do I know if, if I'm, you know, too close to the edge? So I'll hear the bumps a little bit, and the closer he gets to me, the, the more I veer off, which is super dangerous. But I finally get into my street, I turn home, and my car dies out right before I get into my driveway, and then I just coast in, and then I park. All the way home, I'm like, Jesus, please get me home safely. Like, give me superpower eyes. Give me, like, supernatural driving, like, like a superhero type of thing. And so get me home. And I got home, and I was safe. I was so thankful. Fixed my car, everything up and running, headlights working. Wouldn't it be foolish if I said to myself, I made it home last night. I don't need my lights. I can drive home by Braille tonight too. <laughs> and every night, ba-dum, 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 now I've got rumble strips. Like, I can make it. I can do this. But how long could I do that until I cause an accident? or possibly even crash into someone. But for some of us, that's how we live life. We live life in a darkened world. Everything around us is crashing, and all we're doing is we're just going by our feeling, what we feel, what seems right, what we think, temporary things. And God says, I have an eternal value on your life. I have a plan and a purpose for you. Do things my way because then the lights come on and you can see everything with a crystal clear focus. Trust in me. Put your life in my hands. Let me guide your life. Amen. Let's pray. Bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we have a God like you who helps us to understand not only our value, but you also have given us your ways, how you do things. And it's, it becomes difficult when we're trying to serve you and trying to serve ourselves. And we, we want to we have more rather than be more with you. And so today, Lord, can you just shift our way of thinking, our perspective, that no longer are we going to live for our ways, but we're going to live for your ways. We're going to put our life in your hands. We're asking you to guide our lives, that your ways are the best ways because you have given us a purpose. and You've given us eternal value. Help us to think that way. I pray for all of those. You might be here today and you're saying, you know, I've, I've never received Jesus in my life, but I want to. 
I want to say a prayer with you, and it's a prayer of salvation. What that means is that God will save us from eternal separation with him for all of eternity and bring us back home to himself in a place called heaven when it's our time to go. And if you're here today and you're saying, that's me, I want to accept Jesus, well, I'm going to say a prayer, and as you repeat after me, you include your heart. For those of us who have already received Jesus, we can say this prayer too because it reminds us that our lives are in the hands of God. So let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. And so I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I trust you. And I put my life in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the very first time, I want to pray over you. Could you just lift a hand real briefly? Don't be ashamed because God's not ashamed of you. He said, you, you be bold with me, I'll be bold with you. Okay, God sees your hand. God bless you. God bless you too. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. Okay, back there, back there. God, God sees you right here, right here, right there. Okay, yeah, definitely God sees your hand. Okay. Eternity is watching. There's you again. Yeah, yeah, God sees you too. Okay, you can put your hands down. Lord, I pray for these that said yes to you, that they confessed to you that you are their Lord and Savior. We confess all of our sins to you. Wash us clean. Make us more like you. And I pray for all of us that as we leave here today, it'll be your spirit, your ways, your purpose, the eternal value that you see in all of us that will guide our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, Amen. Let's welcome all of these who said yes to Jesus today.